So we talk about relative motion in the joints and stuff, right? So we say, oh, you're twisting a towel and then it orients and it twists even tighter and therefore you get this representation. The rule is not specific to the relative motion and or orientation of joints. Morning. Uh, so I have a muscle question for you. Awesome. Um, so I, I tried to do some research on this and I didn't really get anywhere. So here we are today. Um, it, it's kind of a muscle question in general, but more specifically in regards to like the proximal to distal sequencing or distal to proximal sequencing of like uh, an extremity. I'm with you. So as you get that bony change where it kind of goes like click, click, click up or down the chain, um, how exactly do the individual muscles like change length or contract to allow for that? Um, basically, I'm wondering the propagation. Yeah, yeah, okay. the propagation of it. Like, so does if like you're working if you're coming distal or proximal, do you need like um like a eccentric length change of one end of the muscle first to then allow the next the 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 proximal portion of the muscle to concentrically orient or is it is it something else yes yes oh absolutely okay okay this is this is this is this is actually a really good conversation so um because this comes up in some of the uh you'll see it in when they look at specific muscle architecture okay um, in some of the so-called stretching uh, protocols, some of the, Ryan's smiling at that one, you like that? So-called, right? Yeah. A lot of the stretching stuff isn't stretching stuff, it's sexually strengthening stuff, but anyway, um, by accident. Um, or or uh, you look at a specific exercise <clears throat> where they will say, look at the muscle architecture change, or they'll do a stretch and they'll say, look at the muscle architecture change. When what, what the reality is, is you're getting a joint position or a bony, like a skeletal change, right? That is changing the position of the attachment sites of the muscle, okay? I will give you a for instance, because um, this is very specific. This is, this is very specific in the literature, like it's actually there. If I take your foot and ankle and I twist, all I have to do is twist it in one direction or the other, and I change the length and um, twist of the fasciculi of a muscle. That's all I have to do. Like, like you wanna change something, change the joint position. So when you see a fascicular change in a muscle, chances are there is a joint positional change that is, that is the adaptation. It is not a mechanical element. It's like, like the fasciculi just don't lengthen like suddenly, right? It's associated with a change in the joint position. That's how you change fasciculi. Okay. If I twist one end of a muscle relative to the other, there's the towel twist within the muscle itself. So we talk about relative motion in the joints and stuff, right? So we say, oh, you're twisting a towel and then it orients and it twists even tighter and therefore you get this representation. The rule is not specific to the relative motion and or orientation of joints. It is the rule. So when you say, do I have concentric orientation at one end and eccentric orientation at the other, take a, take a towel and just hold it at one end and just twist the one end and you see the twist progress upward. That's how it works, okay? Within a certain range. So 
Now you got to understand the, the, the point of relative motions available during activities to allow the energy to propagate in the right direction at the right time. Okay. So if we can use like tibialis anterior as an example. Absolutely. Um, tibialis anterior, one of my favorite muscles. Okay. Perfect. Um, so if you have like a an ER'd proximal first met, something like that. And gotcha. that would be that would be orienting the the distal tibialis anterior into a rotation where it has a hard time starting the towel twist. And then um, what if it's already twisted, boss? Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It, it is already twisted. Thank you. It's it a hard time <laughs> going the opposite direction. Yes, it does not untwist. And then you're so. Hang on, boss. Uh, go. Uh, you go ahead. I'm, I, okay. I, you might say. You might say it. I'm gonna. I want to give you credit. I want to. So, so because it has a hard time beginning that position, it has a hard time starting the propagation up through the muscle, and you will not be able to get the proximal position. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I mean, that, that's what. <laughs> That's all I had. Okay, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Why? So if if I have if I have the distal aspect of the muscle twisted uh, um, tighter, and the and the the proximal end is not as twisted, why? Why doesn't the other end? Why doesn't it concentrically orient? Well, that's that's kind of. Why doesn't it? Why doesn't it? Well, I assume it has something to do with like managing the length tension relationship of the like the contractile yeah. elements. Okay, those the length tension thing doesn't hold doesn't hold water in a four dimensional process. Just FYI, doesn't work. Okay, I just change the length tension relationship by twisting it. But did the muscle did the muscle from end to end shorten, or did no. I just twist a fascicula? See, you see where it fails, and in, in, you start to go three D, four D. And and then you don't that, like that link tension relationship disappears because what they what they typically do is they look at attachment to attachment and they say that's the length of the muscle. They're not accounting for the helical orientations. Okay, you get it? Yeah. Because if I if I untwist if I untwist the muscle, the fasciculi can actually shorten. I actually take tension out of the muscle and it shortens. Well, that doesn't seem right now, does it? it might change the representation, but you know what? It doesn't change the representation of the gastroc nearly as much. So there's a proximity issue that's associated with connective tissue behavior, the way that all these muscles attach to, to each other. There's uh, uh, non-uniformity in the muscles themselves. There's twists that are occurring uh, at, at every attachment site. There is a bony representation that has to be accounted for. There's a joint position that has to be accounted for. Do you see the confusion for you? No, I have, I have a couple follow-ups. Oh, okay. um, so, so when you see like um, more concentric muscle activity, if you're visually looking at someone and some of like the, um, like the, the bulging of the muscle will change. What exactly in this context is happening there? Is that just a local concentric portion of the muscle? And could I, could I expect the other ends to be more eccentrically oriented? Potentially, yes. So, if, so all I need is a twist in the right direction at the right place. Okay, let me give you, let me, let me back up a little bit and I will, I, will, I will build on my, for instance. If you look at the fasciculi of gastro, okay, gastro, very specifically, 
if I twist the ankle and the foot, okay, there is a lot of twist in the fasciculi of the gastroc, a lot. More distally towards the foot than proximally, but a lot throughout, okay? If I twist the knee, not the foot, if I twist it, so I, gastroc attaches, you know, across the knee. If I twist the knee, I don't get nearly as much twist in gastroc. More of it occurs proximally relative to the location of the twist, but it doesn't propagate as far through the muscle as it does when I twist the foot. So there's a difference in how much these fasciculi can actually change their, their representation. So now ask your question with that. Um, what's my question? <laughs> you, got, you got me thinking about other things um so the 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 the, the appearance of the muscle oh yeah, yeah, yeah. as far yeah. as the fullness as far as the fullness is concerned will look different right okay so we, we've talked a lot about like feet and rear foot and and you've seen a lot of pictures by now of different foot orientations and such and then you what so you remember looking at like, like achilles tendon and you look at the thickness of a tendon well, what's going on there? Like, why would you have differences in the thickness of, a, of the appearance of a tendon from one side to the other? Now, certainly, if you're looking at a high jumper, you're going to see a, a big, thick tendon on one side, which could be part of the adaptation, uh, just, just a, a tissue-related adaptation. But you're also looking at the amount of twist that's going through the tendon. The more I twist that tendon, the skinnier and flatter it gets, and the wider it can get up to a certain extent. Yeah. So, so again, so what you're observing in the muscle itself is the same principle. It's like, okay, where's the greatest degree of twist? So uh, if you were going to do uh, Nordic hamstring curls, you know what I'm talking about? What would be a potential adaptation that, that has been shown associated with that activity in the muscle? Increased muscle volume. It's a reduction in muscle stiffness, a change in the, in the length of the fasciculi, but an increase in the stiffness of a tendon. Huh. Can you appreciate that there would be a, a uh, twisting that would be associated with the activity itself? That would the, the activity yeah. promoting it. Do you see it though? But see, so so again, it's like now let's appreciate why this would occur. Okay, so if I have a, if I have a change in the in the organization of the fasciculi, there's a turn that took place somewhere. Like I'm promoting a turn as part of the adaptation. So that's a shape change. So it's a joint position change or a skeletal shape change that's going to promote a, a representation in the architecture of the muscle to change. Okay, so some of it may be, I'm sorry, some of it may be hypertrophy of the muscle. If I jam more stuff into a muscle, the, the balloon, so to speak, has to get bigger. And so the architecture will change under those circumstances. If I twist a joint, the architecture will change under those circumstances. This is why you have to monitor what is happening when you're applying a protocol, right? Because your intention may be to do something and then you get other adaptations that you didn't expect. Okay, 
But what, what you're talking about is like, will the representation of the muscle change? Absolutely will. Um, just did a, a, a consult this, this week. There was a guy that has like a chronic hamstring strain and you look at him from behind and he's got this big honking biceps femoris that he keeps straining over and over and over again. But he's in an ER position the whole time. And he's got a twist in the tibia, which means he's got ten. He's most likely got tension at one end of the muscle, and the other end of the muscle is eccentrically oriented because it is it is in an expanded representation. It looks really big, right? You understand? It's like yeah. you look at you look at you look at VMs on on people that have twists in their knees, and they get this big honking VM, and it looks like they got this tiny little skinny VL when it's just wrapped around. And so I have more concentric orientation in the VL, which compresses it. I got an eccentric orientation in the VM, and I get this big expansion of the of the of the VM. So the VM looks like oh wow, look at how well developed it is. It's like okay, yeah, but it's eccentrically oriented. It's in a bad position to do what you want it to do if you're going to try to apply force in the ground. So in, in regards to what you were talking about, about um, like some portions of the muscle might twist more than others, uh -huh. does that have to do with like the uh, connective tissue morphology of the attachments? Like a- Some of it will, okay. Like a, Go ahead, yes. So, so like, a, like an aponeurosis would not maybe twist as much as- Yes, there you go. Okay, here's the, here's a really cool thing. Here's a really cool thing. Okay, uh, are there muscles that are in close proximity to other muscles? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the position of those muscles might affect the way that the architecture of the muscle that it might be like superficial or deep to it would behave differently? Yeah. Okay. Position of soleus affects the representation of the fasciculi of gastroc. Can you picture that? They're like laying right on top of each other. Yeah. If I change, if I change the orientation, if I change the muscle orientation of soleus, I will change the, the representation of gastroc because gastroc lays on top. It's, it has to stretch over top of the soleus. Okay. Okay. If I go one more layer deep and I go to flexor hallucis longus, you know what happens to soleus if I start messing around with flexor hallucis longus? Don't mind me. It might, it might change the representation, but you know what? It doesn't change the representation of the gastroc nearly as much. So there's a proximity issue that's associated with connective tissue behavior. The way that all these muscles attach to, to each other, there's uh, uh, non-uniformity in the muscles themselves. There's twists that are occurring uh, at, at every attachment site. There is a bony representation that has to be accounted for. There's a joint position that has to be accounted for. Do you see the confusion that lies in all of this? Yes. Yeah, it's like, it's not one thing. People think that they're doing one thing and it's like, okay, uh, I'm gonna call it something. I'm gonna call it strength training, right? Somebody comes to you, Alec, and they go, um, you know, Alec, I've been I've been strength training for for years, um, but I'm not really seeing any benefit. And you go, well, tell me what you're doing. She goes, well, I have these two pound pink dumbbells that I I do all of these different exercises uh, three times a week, and I've been doing it for for years now, and I'm not seeing the adaptation. What's the problem with that? She her perception is she's strength training because I'm using I'm using resistance. That's got to be good for me, right? Things do things do not occur as people think they do. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect.
So, so the inhaled representation of the scapula looks like the inhaled representation of the anomalous, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so hang on. I have pelvis. So it's gonna look like that, mm -hmm. right? And then, so in the pelvis, I would have like a counter nutation of the, of the sacral base against the ilia, correct? Okay, which would mean that, that you would have a dorsal rostral expansion under that circumstance, would you not? Because mm -hmm. I talk funny, and I know I talk funny, but I talk funny for a reason. Because my goal is to try to be as coherent as possible, right? And if you have one representation in one area of the body and the same representation in another area of the body, they should be called the same thing. But so, you know, you got your scapula here, right? And, and by tradition, they're going to say that that's ER and IR, right? And then what I'm going to say is that's ER because that's a breath in. And I'm going to say that that's IR and that's a breath out. But you can see the confusion, right? Because this thing's moving in 4D, right? And it's not this and it's not this, right? Get it? Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the way if you if you had your hands on somebody's back and they take a breath in, there's the breath in. It's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it is that. Because they have to expand, they're going to expand backwards into your hands, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to push your hands back and open them up like that, right? And that's what looks like that. With the counter mutation. See it? Breath in, breath out, breath in, breath out. That's why that's why it gets a little confusing when you talk to me. And that's why I have to ask you questions like, are you talking about traditional ER or are you talking about the ER that we talk about? So traditional ER refers as the compression of the lateral border, the scap as IR, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if I compress medial border, I would I would traditionally ER. But see, that's an orientation because all that's doing is turning it's turning the we're, we're talking about a representation of of uh, how they're accessing a space. Right. So if I push the medial border of the scapula against the rib cage and, and the lateral border is free to move, I'm just going to point the glenoid out towards ER. Right versus a systemic external rotation, which would be associated with an inhale. Do you see the difference in the two? Yeah. Doesn't really matter what language you speak. Like we can understand it, but we have to, we have to clarify because if we don't distinguish between the ER orientation, right? And then the external rotation that would be associated with relative motion, they're not the same, right? So the way the guy got there was initially he, as a narrow, he got inhaled skeleton. And her, so his shoulder blades were ER, like inhaled presentation. So turn your thumbs towards your face. There's the expansion that, that would be associated with the breath in, mm -hmm. right? DR, DR has to expand back towards, like if you're looking at his back and your hands are on his back, and he takes a breath in, there's the expansion. 
right? It's going to come towards you. It's going to, it's going to open up like a flower. It's going to turn like that. And it's going to expand back. The DR is moving at your face if you're behind him. Okay. You understand? Mm -hmm. That position, that position increases concentric orientation on the backside of the shoulder, which immediately limits my ability to IR the, the humerus, but I can ER it all day. There's your ER bias of the narrow ISA. You understand? Okay. That increases the concentric orientation at the back. Yeah, so it does that. On the back side of the shoulder. So if we wanted to pick on muscles, we would say the, the, the infraspinatus would be concentrically oriented in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then that gives me space for more external rotation. Okay. As you're breathing, because of the ground contact, you're able to apply force into the ground, but you're slowing it down. You're, you're preventing it from going forward versus expanding backward, right? So, so if you don't do manual work, you can still do this with, with activities. You just gotta make sure you get the orientation right. So this goes back to Ian's question when we were talking about neck rotation. It's like, okay, think about which direction I need the lower cervical spine to be able to turn to create the upper DR expansion. On the right. Yes, sir. Spine okay. to the left. So let's, let, hang on, let's talk through this. Let's talk through this. Um, do you think you have a uh, posterior lower compressive strategy on the right side? Okay, that's a pickle too. That's interference, isn't it? All right. So what position can we put them in where we can get more air into the upper DR, expand posterior lower on the right side? Okay. You follow me so far? All right. Um, and then not, not um, create the uh, upper cervical interference at the same time. We talk about them all the Side time. Line. I could go sideline. You could definitely do it in sideline. I'm I'm going for the home run here, boss. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to knock one out of the park on the first try. Ian probably knows. It's like I said, we talk about these, we talk about this, this exercise all the time for some reason that people sort of latch onto it, but but it's underappreciated as to what it can and cannot do. Would it be arm bar? I would not, I would not use an arm bar uh, right away because of the arm position. So consider the arm position that you have to use in the arm bar and the degree of elevation is going to approach a position that's going to produce a compressive strategy where I don't want one. So if to get the upper DR expansion, I need my reach to be below 90 degrees, right? Well, so you, you, you've got other things that to consider. We're not just chasing the upper DR. We're going to get it. We're going to get it all at the same time here. Uh, say it, Ian. Go ahead. Come on. I saw you do it. <laughs> cross connect. Hook line cross yeah. connect. So, so look, at the, look at the upper extremity position on a cross connect. Okay. So if I do a right-sided... Right side of cross connect, or with the right right extremity. Okay, so 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 uh, right right foot down, and I'm reaching with the with the right arm. Okay, it's gold in this situation. It gets so many different things all at the same time, which is why I love this activity and I use it so much. Right now, 
here's the, here's the thing that you're going to run into is like you got to make sure that you've got enough contact on the right side right so i got to get foot contact i got to get the sacral base contact i got to get the the dr contact but as i as i make contact with the right side everything's got to got to expand down the right side which is going to bring the lower cervical spine back towards me and that's going to help open up the upper dr on that side do you understand? Okay. But you, so so you're slowing down the right side, okay, in this circumstance, and you're going to get uh, posterior lower expansion, you're going to get DR to come, and you're going to get upper DR all at the same time. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So that would be a good starting position. And again, don't take sideline out of this because it, it may be useful. Then you can make your decision is like, okay, um, do I do I still need to do a manual technique? Right? And then that might require other things from a, a reduction of concentric orientation um, situation, right? Do you follow? Yeah, I see I see the wheels turning in your head there, boss. We good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got okay. it. I got it. It's super close to me. And if, because uh, I think I have it, I'm experiencing it myself because I'm a wide ISA and I feel that I'm on my, all the way on my right. Mm -hmm. And then I have my humerus, like my shoulder girdle pulled forward. And then it's uh, like it's forward. And, but then I feel that I'm counter rotating my spine to the, to the right. Which gives me a leg presentation on my right side. Okay, so so okay, so here let's let's talk this through because now you can actually feel what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this this would be if we elevate the position of the scapula and anteriorly orient, and then you try to reach from that position. Okay, you try to reach from that position. Right, you might have interference. This is why we're this is why we're talking about about the anti orientation. So the the other thing that you're going to have to check then is is are you making contact in the right place? Okay. Some people try they they they're too they're too lateral, if you will, with the contact. Right. And so they end up just sort of orienting themselves this way, and then they have to reach across their. So they end up reaching across their body. Uh, did you ever do a, a, a cross connect and screw it up by having to reach across midline? Like two, two midline. Two yeah. So so they they reach they reach too hard, or they'll do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that just reinforces. That just reinforces the IR compensation. Okay. So, so again, check your contact. So in that instance, they're IRing through the spine to push them to the right, uh, to the left. Yeah. So, so again, they're, they're, all you're doing, all you're doing is is um, uh, increasing the concentric orientation that you're trying to alleviate. You see it. Mm -hmm. So, so when they're reaching, when they're reaching with their with their arm pay attention to the neck position, right? So you see, if you see sternocleidomastoid kind of bending 
forward in that direction, then you know that you're you're compressing the dr as they're reaching. Do you understand? I'm not expanding. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the, that was the goal in the first place. Now, mm -hmm. if they can't do it, if they can't do it, then I'd go back to sideline. Okay. Yeah, because I literally experienced all the all the words that you said right now. Because yesterday. I was <laughs> Yeah. If 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 they if they if like the reaching, if they reach and their head tips back like really far, that's a no go. You have no you have no expansion available to you, right? So you you watch the reaction of 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 the of the spine as they're reaching. If they're reaching, their head basically rests in the in a relatively comfortable position and you can see the expansion on that side. But if you see you'll see like the little crease from their neck and all that kind of stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, let's back that off a little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Good. All right. Bill, can I can I just have a follow-up to uh -huh. to cross connect? Uh, in terms of where the guts are going, so would because I have a because I have a foot contact on the right side and I don't have it on the left side, uh -huh. I assume I would the the posterior outlet would be more concentric on the on the left side because it would be like a concentric yield earlier. Right, so you're you're slowing. Okay. So it's a couple of things are gonna are gonna depend. Okay. Generally speaking, yes. Because most be, of the yeah, most of the guts it's gonna stay be more overcoming. Right. It's gonna be more overcoming. Okay. On the, on the right. Hang on. Hang on, boss. Hang on. Okay. You have to account for what's happening as you're executing. What are you doing while you're in the position? Breathing. What happens there? Yeah, when when I when I exhale, I, I okay. Get if I exhale with the ground, hang on. If I exhale with a ground contact, I get more overcome. Yeah, so so it's it's doing this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As you're breathing, because of the ground contact, you're able to apply force into the ground, but you're slowing it down. You're, you're preventing it from going forward versus expanding backward. Do you see the difference in the two? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When I, when I exhale, I, I expand backward. When I inhale, when you I, breathe in and you get expansion into the table on the, the foot contact side. Yeah. Okay. That would make the other side more overcoming. Got it. Okay. That would make the other side. As, as I breathe out, as I breathe out, okay, yeah. I'm preventing what was just expanded into the yielding representation from going into overcoming too quickly. Okay. Take a breath in, expand into the table, breathe out. Try to hold the contact on the table. Okay, because I don't want to push them into into late. Yeah, and all right, and because of the because of the 
the bend at the at the hip there and the position of the extremities and the the I, I would still be in more ER pelvis in the hook line cross connect version. That's why you use it because I don't have access. I don't have access to as much IR. So the difference between a, a supine cross connect where your foot's on the wall, there has to be a whole lot more internal rotation available. 